You're making one right decision today. You're listening to Handcuffs and Sage. Three badass moms bringing you all the true crime and paranormal your heart desires. I'm Red. I'm Timo. I'm Dre. And don't let your kids listen. Seriously, just don't. Hey, it's Handcuffs and Sage. This is Red. Hey, this is Timo. Hey, this is Dre. Oh my goodness. Do y'all have your positivity? I do. Uh, I have tea and white wine in a mug. (laughs) Tea and wine. I know. I'm finishing up. For more cocktail recipes, follow Tino. (laughs) Yeah, I I drank some wine last night because I was down in the dumps because my saints lost. And... It's still up in the air if Drew Brees is actually retiring. He hasn't come out and said it, but his body language last night with like throwing kisses to the audience, walking away, turning and taking one last look at the Superdome. Come on, you guys. He's retiring. I'm just brokenhearted. So I drank some Mm. wine last night and I had a little bit left over. um, So I'm finishing up tonight. Very interesting. I I highly recommend it. So checking out Surviving Death on Netflix, just a lot of insight in lots of different areas, right? Near mm-hmm. death experiences, medium. It was awesome. Yeah. So hopefully, mm-hmm. It was great. It was great. So hopefully we'll cover that on maybe some down the rabbit hole episodes later yeah. on. Um, how is your week, y'all? How you doing, Dre? How you doing, girl? So, so I, I had a rough day. I had a rough week, but I'm... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic, so I'm, I'm doing better today. Um, I did have something really cool happen. Um, mm. I had, I had a awesome freaking badass nurse that was like willing to teach me all kinds of stuff. Um, just like, you know, the little things that you should know when you work in the ICU. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you get to talking and sometimes you have a connection with someone. Yeah. And the connection that we had was just insane. Like she was like, I will only work with you. She chose me over an RN. You guys, I'm only an LVN, right? She chose me over an RN. Um, I got talked to about pursuing an RN uh, license in my future. And I always said I wouldn't do it because I was too old or because I had a kid or whatever. Never too old, girl. Never. I just, I I just didn't, honestly, I was being lazy. I didn't want to do the work. Right. That was what it was. I just just (laughs) want to go back to school. I was very content. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this, this experience has definitely um, opened my eyes to the possibility, which is cool. But the cool thing that happened that I want to talk about is that we just, talked all day long as we're working our asses off in the rooms doing what we do and um come to find out that she is super super in tune with her paranormal side Ooh, and it was, I love it. Just, just not just her but like the respiratory therapist that was working with us same thing she was like you too many things have happened in this unit where they've both seen it um and just like instances and she would like walk me around and she was like there's a room like 24 that's like really creepy. Um, there's yeah. actually, if you walk, yeah, if you walk into the room, people have a sense of sadness, right? And there's on the wall, like you can't see that. She has a video of this, guys. You can't see it head on and you can't see it all the time. But there's like a handprint that's like smacks mm. and then ears down like this. No. It's on the wall, right? And you can see it like 
this like it's like a sweaty hand and it smears down and so like you can't see it head on but if you like look at it from the side it's there and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not so you can't even explain the why like is it a dirty wall people have tried to wash it off it doesn't go away uh, um that gave me chills there's when a room said that <laughs> It, that's cool. I did too. There's that's a room cool. attached, like there's there's like a secondary room it that attaches to that room, and then and then there's another room because it's called like an ante room. It's like when you want you need to get clean, you go into like a, it's like a, a small room where you get clean, and that room is connected to like room 23. And there was a, a lady in room 23, and she okay. So there's two things that happen. One, the lady in room 23 her she was paralyzed and her call light went off now explain that how does a call light go off when the person can't push the button what? right super weird um so something the, new that she that needed help to... and they pushed the button for her because she couldn't do that kind of a thing. that's amazing so wow wow yeah wow. and then yeah and then there was another one where uh, a lady was there and she was like she she was asking for help and then she couldn't speak, right? Because she had like the, the, the ventilator on and the call light went off and she's pointing to room 24 and she says she sees something. And then they were like, what do you mean? There's nobody here. And then she's pointing to room 24 with this look of fear on her face. I mean, these stories guys are just so crazy. I'm, it's just stuff happens there. So I, a little bit sad, but I do want to talk about this one too. Um, on what was last night, Sunday night, um, no, it happened twice on Saturday and on Sunday in, in a room, somebody passed away mm -hmm. and when it happens, everything is attached to make sure that there's no more heartbeat and there's no more oxygen saturation, right? There's no more anything going through. And then the doctor will come in and call the time of death. Um, with this patient, he flatlined, there was no heartbeat, but the, the saturation kept going up and that what? doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Wow. So it was really strange. Interesting. You see the saturation go down to zero. And then like, you know, we're waiting for everything to finalize and the doctor to come in. And then we call the doctor and say, okay, you can come and call the time of death now. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the oxygen saturation goes up to like 86. And we're like, what? <laughs> no. So she's kind of pinned this, this phenomenon to mostly electrical occurrences minus the, uh, the handprint because she even walked into um, a room where the oxygen saturation was going off and beeping, but it wasn't even attached to anybody. What? So weird stuff what? like that happens. Yeah. And then I've been in the bathroom like three times where the light, you know, you walk in and it's automatic and it turns on. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting on the toilet, like not even seconds later and the light turns off and I'm like, okay, stop it. <laughs> and then it turns on again. Oh no. That's yeah. just rude. The like light's just times. rude. Yeah. And I'm literally like, okay, stop. I need the light on. And then the light turns on again. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Hospitals. All right. Yeah. Are y'all ready? So real quick, Ren. Um, yes. Because yes, you were yes, talking yes. about your the, when your grandpa passed away and when you, you received a blanket that had been passed down from generation to generation um, that mm -hmm. your grandfather had. And mm -hmm. um, you and your daughter kind of felt anxiety a little bit when you guys were holding the blanket. So it's yes. in a special place in your house and yeah. you ha you've been having some crazy shit happen in your house um, 
in the past like couple weeks, but I wanted to bring this up because um, my sister came over today and I was just talking about it and I'm like, oh, I took a picture of it. Let me show you. So I had said on the, on the, on the podcast episode, when you were talking about it, that I was going to take a picture and I was going to put it on the site. And then I was at your house a while ago and I'm like, where's the blanket? So I went to it and you're all like, don't touch it. I'm going, I'm not gonna touch it. I'm just gonna take a quick picture of it. So I took a quick picture of it. Didn't think anything of it, put it back in my pocket. We continued what we were doing, whatever. Uh And I have not searched for it ever since. I have not put it on the site. So I was uh-huh. talking to my sister today about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I took a picture. The picture did not take. What? I can't find it. I can't find it anywhere on my phone. It didn't allow me to take the picture. No. Yeah. Okay. It's so weird. I know I took it. I know I took it. I, I know saw because it. I was standing there with right. you when you took it. I know. I know. You guys, that can't. I just can't. <laughs> so let me give an update on the blanket it. situation it, whatever you do i I'm know not, you want to burn it did you sage I'm it not, we saged the whole house after okay. it came in but things have been happening in our home so i just want to update everyone you know we have our group message right where we kind of share things so i just want to share with everybody else that this last week four times four times i have come downstairs and my front door is hanging wide open. No, no, no. This never, ever, ever happened. And now it's happened four times in a week. And one of the times buckle up was at two in the morning. No, I, I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs to get water and my door in the middle of the night is hanging open. It was... So bone chilling. I don't know what to think about it. This has never been an issue before. We always keep our door closed and locked because we have two dogs. Never want them to get out. How trippy is that? That that continues to happen? Yeah, I... That really, really freaks me out. I don't... I get the feeling that it's just something saying I'm here. Does that make sense? Right. Just over and over again, something saying I'm here which is crazy, but I really can't wrap my mind around the door being open. And I even said to you guys in the text, I'm like, am I that dumb white person in the scary movie where shit's happening? I'm like, it's nothing. Because <laughs> you know? that's what it feels like. This weird shit is happening. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, you guys, let's do this. So I wanted to do this one for a little bit. I watched this on Netflix a while ago and it was so, so interesting. I was enthralled by it because I hadn't heard all the details about it. So it's on Netflix. There's four episodes of it. It's called The Ripper. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing. This is not the Jack the Ripper story. Uh -uh. Okay. This happens in West Yorkshire, England. So this is the Yorkshire Ripper. Okay. Right. Such an interesting story. So I'm going to take you through the series. Um, If you haven't seen it, watch it, but we're going to be talking about it. So I'm going to take the four episodes that they have, and I'm turning it into a two part. So today will be one, 
one part, okay? Part one. Um, such an interesting so what I immediately take away from this series is England is always cold and wet and foggy and muddy mm -hmm. so not my place not interested in visiting sorry you guys mm. not going to England ever it's so cold every like picture they post I'm like, ugh, ugh, no thank you the I'm sun does go. come out every once in a while but and it still looks cold it still looks cold. Yeah, it's still cold. But I love I love London. I would totally move there in, in a hot minute. I'm going to pass. You can have all my notes. That's what I took from this series, honestly. Okay, you guys. Buckle up. So when we start this series, we hear this amazing English accent, and it's a man speaking. And he's talking about his mom. But he says, of course, mum, which I love. 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 So he says, mum was going out. It was the middle of the week. All the kids had gone to bed. He was about five years old and his sister was about six. In the middle of the night, he remembers being woken up and his sister saying, mom's not come back. Let's get up and let's look for her. Okay. They go outside, it's cold, it's dark, just like during the day also, because this is in England. And they're looking all over for their mom. So just picture these two really sweet looking kids looking for their mom. They don't know where their mom Aww. went. Um, they're going through the garden, they're going out to the field and they just keep looking for their mom and they can't find her, okay? So this is the story of the ultimate crime against women and the heart of a monster is who did it. It's just a crazy story and we're gonna go through it. This was five years of terror, which is amazing that it went on for that long. This was one of the biggest crimes investigations ever at the time in the United Kingdom. So we're gonna start off in 1975 in Leeds, Northern England. I learned a lot about England and where cities and towns are. So, um, you know, ask me anything, I know where it is. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> so we have police constable in West Yorkshire. He's part of the task force. His name is Andy Latu and he talks throughout the series. He says one day his boss gets off the phone and says, right, load up the van. We're going to Leeds, there's been a murder. A woman's body has been discovered, but not yet identified. The body is found in a playing field in Chapeldown district of Leeds. Um, they're doing an area search for anything that they can find, any kind of evidence they can find. You see, it's a very cold morning. This is taking place in the 70s, so everyone's hair and beards and sideburns is on point. And you see a line of police constables all walking in line, like uh -huh. looking down at their feet, right? Taking slow steps. So they're looking for evidence in this field. Uh, the woman had been brutally battered about the head. There was horrifying injuries to her body and the police are not disclosing those yet at the time. She is identified as 28 year old divorcee, Wilma McCann. She's found 150 yards from her home where she lived with her four 
children. So they show a picture of Wilma and Wilma has short blonde hair and she just has a look like life has been rough on her. Just a sadness in her eyes in the photo that they, they post of her. And it was actually kind of a sad photo, I think. So the man that we heard from in the beginning of the episode is Richard McCann, Wil Wilma's son, which is so sad. He said that they were out in the street and there was a commotion going on. It was actually kind of exciting because there was police officers there and they didn't know what was going on. And then the question, you know, police come to question these, these little kids. He says he remembers that neighbors come and they're bringing the kids hot cocoa, which was very special to them because of where they lived. They were very poor and so that was a treat. It's just so sad. They show a picture of these four very small, sweet looking children kind of sitting together um, at the time. And he said everyone was just making a fuss over them and he had no idea what was going on. An officer sat these four children down and said their mom had been taken to heaven and they weren't gonna see her again. Mm. Oh my, my heart just, uh, it was so, so sad, so sad. So then we're hearing from Mike Green. He is in a senior forensic medicine. He's a forensic pathologist at the University of Leeds. And he's talking about uh, Wilma and her body. He's saying Wilma had been struck twice on the back of the head. There was three groups of stab wounds, two in her breast, one in the abdomen. These were very unusual stab wounds. They could tell that the person took the time to push the instrument around. Oh. Okay, so it's not like someone, right, is in a fury stabbing. Uh -huh. What they're doing is they're stabbing and doing this, right, Horrible. turning it around. This is a very disturbed person and they can't find any fibers or trace evidence on the body, okay? So then we have Dennis Hoban, Detector Chief Superintendent in Leeds, and he's saying that at 1 a.m. they know that Wilma was alive and was standing in front of this club. This club was called Room at the Top Club, and she had been seen crossing the road. She jumped in front of a car, and she said to this motorist, can you give me a lift to Scott Hall Road? And that is actually where her body is later found, okay? This is in Chapelton. Chapelton is a very, very poor area. 21% of people are unemployed. There's like secret drinking clubs there. The people there don't like the police. There's a lot of tension between the people and, and the police there. One of the police officers says like, everywhere you look, there's some guys with gold teeth and diamonds in their teeth and I'm not gonna mess with them. Like it's just a very contentious relationship there. There's a large number of prostitutes in Chapelton and they call it a red light area. So mm -hmm. we've all heard that term before the red light district. Mm -hmm. I did some time, I mean, Timo, you, I think you did too. <laughs> we know what the red light area is, okay? <laughs> so that's what's happening in this area. 
her body is found near the red light area. So an assumption that was immediately made here is that it is prostitute related. Okay. And they do keep saying prostitute. I like sex worker. Just to let y'all know in this series, they, they say prostitute. It's the seventies. They're not woke. Okay. So a detective is speaking on the news about the case. Um, and he's saying, William, Wilma liked the nightlife. She was somewhat of a prostitute. Mm. And it just seems so disrespectful the way he says this, right? Mm -hmm. I think if someone went on the news and said that today, I think that detective mm. would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. But back then, it, it was a, a completely different world. Um, in the press, they came out and they would call Wilma a good time girl. How fucking rude. Mm. So awful. This is a mother. She has four children, you dick faces. Yeah, guess what? Um, and she could be have a good time if she wanted to. Yes, that's yeah. correct, Timo. I do all the no time. I, I'm right. a good time girl. How, how you like that? So they have this newspaper, it's called the Yorkshire Post. And one of the people that works there is Tony Harney. And he says that murder and mayhem absolutely attract people, which we know well, because we're into murder and mayhem stories. And so a lot of people were reading the newspaper to hear about what was going on, okay? So then we also hear from someone who works at the Post. His name is Alan Whitehouse. And he would call this Wilma's murder a very minor story. It would just go away in a few days. She was just a prostitute. Who cares? Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is a fish and chip story. Do you mm -hmm. know what a fish and chip story is? It's a story you read on page six and a few days later, you're using that newspaper to wrap up your food to go somewhere. It's a fish and chip story. Right. Oh. Oh, mm. that just killed me. Because if they just said mother of four murdered, I think it would be a lot different. Mm -hmm. just, just in my opinion. Um, we're hearing from Richard and he's talking about his mom, Wilma. He says, my mom's life was hell. My mom, my mom was a survivor. She did whatever she needed to do to bring home some money into the house. Money was always a big issue. One time at the social service office, she had to threaten to leave us kids there if they didn't give us any money. A couple of times the kids were sent to foster families because Wilma had breakdowns. She struggled. Their father was a terrible drinker and gambler. And then they separated at the end of 1974. And then they never, he wasn't around. Father left. Wilma's on her own. She's raising these four kids. It's just awful. Um, so Richard is saying that him and his siblings were told to gather their things. Um, he felt really afraid. He didn't know what was going on. They were put in a, in a car and they pulled up to this huge building and he said that he was so afraid. And, but then he realizes this is a children's home. So all, all of these children are, are now taken to a children's home and they're left motherless so it's just a really sad situation so the feeling was is that this is just a prostitute murder who cares and stranger murders are very difficult to solve right because there's no connection with that person it's very hard to find uh, a, a stranger murder who who mm -hmm. did it 
So then we have January 1976. A few months after Wilma's murder, a body of a woman is found behind a bakery in Chapelton. Okay. The body is identified as 43-year-old Emily Jackson, and she's a mother of three. She's found in this really muddy, terrible looking alleyway and her feet are displayed out towards the road with her legs spread, right? So definitely positioned in this way. The body was near Chapelton, which is a red light area. It's a short distance from the Gaiety. So the Gaiety was like this strip club. It attracted all sorts of like shady, shady characters and a lot of prostitutes would you know, hang out around the gate, maybe to pick up people after they got their strip twos done, okay? So Emily was working as a prostitute. Um, she would use the family van. It was blue, old school looking. They showed a picture of it. She would drive it into Leeds and she would use it as like her place of business, right? Like instead of a hotel room, she would use the van, right? To bring in John's. Um, at the time, her husband was really close to being declared bankruptcy and prosecuted, so they really needed the money, and that's why she was prostituting herself, mm. which is really, really sad. We hear from Emily's son, Neil Jackson. He says the police showed up to their home. He was 17 years old at the time, and they let him know that their mom had been murdered. And then they told him that she was a sex worker and he had no idea. Awful. Oh. Good job, police. You're killing the yeah, game, right. right? And then they have him go and he has to identify her body. This is awful. At 17. At 17. And he says he then finds out what her injuries are. And she was stabbed 56 times. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Let me take a sip of my positivity because I need it right now. Kill me. So there was two fractures to the head. And this is obviously a similarity to Wilma. Remember, she had two blows to the head. Mm -hmm. um, so the detective was on the news and he was saying, look, obviously there's a similarity here. So we're looking into this. And obviously this man hates prostitutes. So right off the bat, he's making this statement, this is a prostitute thing, so nobody else needs to worry about it, okay? Right. Don't, don't say these things, really. Um, we hear from Mike Green, the forensic pathologist, and he's talking about these stab wounds. He said some of them are like cross-shaped and some of them are rounded. And so they figured out that it looks like maybe it was a screwdriver that was used to make these stab wounds. And then on... Emily's body there was a boot print found on her thigh which is insane because there's no reason to have a boot print on your thigh so maybe after he stabbed her 56 times he then stepped on her mm -mm, which right. is crazy just it really kind of tells you what kind of person he is they said that the boot print was really small it's about a size seven which is you know small for anybody so we know he's a small dick i'm just saying it right now i'm just saying it right now um yeah exactly so this is taking place now in west yorkshire west yorkshire i learned a lot this is like a, a powerhouse place back in the 
back in the day where they have like lots of textile businesses. They have mills. At one time, it was very wealthy, okay? But then because of foreign imports, it like, it collapsed. It, it dismantled. Rich people left the area. And so now you have terrible unemployment, really poor people. So it, it went from a really high place to a really low place. And that's where we are now in the 70s. So people are really, really struggling. And so they're not worried about prostitutes being murdered. Does that make sense? Mm. That's not what's on these people's minds, right? Mm. So April, 1977, the body of 28-year-old Irene Richardson is found. The body is found by a dog walker in, in a park. She's face down, feet towards the road, and her boots, are laid out neatly on top of her legs. Hmm. What the fuck? That's so fucking weird. Her handbag is found near her and the contents of the handbag are neatly laid out next to it on the ground. What? It, so creepy, right? So mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we see a pattern here with these murders. There's a blow to the head. There's death. There's mutilation to to the body. There's no evidence of penetrative sex or semen found on the body. The body is laid out. So they're saying this is a serial killer. We have a serial killer, right? Mm -hmm. This is when the newspaper comes out, the post comes out with the name, The Ripper. So they have coined the serial killer now as The Ripper. This causes, you know, kind of a fascination. Oh, is this the reincarnation of the Victorian killer, right? But now he's in Yorkshire. So there was, you know, some excitement over that. So they call him the Yorkshire Ripper. And I bet when he saw that, he got a real hard on with this tiny dig. Okay, so now we have Jim Hobson and he takes over the investigation. He's leading it. He is talking on the news. He's doing like a little segment and he's saying the woman was living a fairly respectable life until about 10 days before her death. What the fuck? She was living a fairly respectable life until 10 days before her death. She had gone down in status and now she was wandering the streets. So even here, you can hear from the lead investigator the disdain for a prostitute, mm-hmm. right? He's talking about someone who was murdered. It drives me nuts the way that they talk about these women. It really is so sad. So the police force at the time was a hot freaking mess. It was in complete disarray. Nothing was organized in it. No one knew was, who was in charge of what, you know, day to day. It, it, was a, it was a hot mess. City police definitely looked down on town police, right? So they had that kind of feud going on. They, they had 100 police forces in the country. So the largest ones were in Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham. And then they had these little towns. And these little towns then had their own, right? And so then there's a rivalry between all of them. It, it's just a freaking mess, okay? It, it's awful. So we hear from... Keith Hellwell, and he was a superintendent in Bradford. This is an area called Bradford. 
And he was talking about how at the time he was a coal miner. And then his wife said, you know, you need to get a decent job. So he became a police officer at the time. Mm. If it was so easy, right? You need to get a job. So he did. He became a police officer. And he came in during this really crazy, uh, disorganized time. And then we also hear from Andy Luke too. And he said in 1971, he came home from the Merchant Navy. He didn't know what he was going to do with himself. He was feeling pretty bored at the time. And he saw this uh, advertisement for the police, like, come join the police. You'll never be bored. And he said, great. And he said, and I've never been bored. So this is when they both joined the police forces. And I wish it was that easy nowadays. It's so easy. You just say, I don't want to be bored. And then all of a sudden you're wearing a copper hat. (laughs) So then by uh, 1974, they're having a mix come, almost like when companies merge, they have started to merge the police forces. So because people are being merged and moved around, what they've lost is a lot of people that would know like, criminals or prostitutes or informants in certain areas weren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. They were moved. So now in these areas where you don't really know these people that well, we have a serial killer. And they said that that really added to confusion and frustration with getting like leads and information that they needed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was all happening at, at one time. So we now have three murders. The police are beyond frustrated. They did have one piece of evidence, which was a tire mark that they had found. They know though, that it would match like 10,000 tire marks or tires in there, right? So even though they had gotten this piece of evidence, it really wasn't gonna work out, right? Um, And they didn't want the public to know that they had this, this tire mark imprint because they were afraid that that person would obviously change their tires, right? Cover their tracks. Mm-hmm. So we have Jim Hobson, remember, he's leading the investigation. He's talking in a news segment and he's saying this man is probably 25 to 35 years old. Um, he's asking women to get in his car in the Chapelton area. Jim had teams in the Chapelton area taking down like every license plate of any car coming through with a single man. So they're trying to... to get leads going here. They think that the suspect noticed that there was all of a sudden a a really big police presence in that area and stopped going there, okay? So April, 1977, we have Detective Chief Superintendent in Bradford, John Domain. He gets a call at home and they say, you got a ripper murder. So we're not in Chapleton anymore with murders, we've now moved to Bradford. So he picked up on the police activity and he changed where he was, he was gonna murder someone, okay? So a body of 33-year-old Patricia Atkinson is found in Bradford. This is two months and 18 days from the last murder. She was a prostitute and again, because this is a stranger murder, it's much harder to figure out who this is. So this person is now moving all over England. It's a stranger. They have no evidence. There's no 
DNA at the time, right? It, it's a clusterfuck. They're not getting any closer to catching him is the point, okay? So John says in a newscast, I have her diary. There's a lot of people named in this diary and I want to speak to all of them. You can also save me some time by coming forward to see me. So mm. he's like, we're going to look at everybody. Um, so now we're at four murders in 18 months. We meet Krista Ackroyd. And she's talking about how at the time during these murders, she went to a dancing school nearby in the area. And this, this really shook her up. It really scared her because the, the last murder, what she wasn't found in a field, she was found in a flat. So this is the first time where he went into someone's home and he killed them in, in their home. Okay. Mm. So there's a, a, a change there. And so um, she said that it, it just is a terrible feeling that this, this woman, Patricia probably invited her murderer in not thinking she was going to be murdered. It is a terrible mm. thought. It really is sad. At the scene, they find bloody uh, boot prints on Patricia's floor and the boot prints match the boot print found on Emily Jackson. Okay, so we have a link there. So that's really mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They also could tell that this person like walked to the front door, okay, made the bloody footprints, stopped, then went back and probably adjusted her body to look the way he wanted it to look when she was found. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. Disgusting. Disgusting. Um, so Krista, she lives in this area and she says she needs to get information on how to be safe in this area. She wants to empower herself. She wants to be like a news reporter. She said at the time she was 18 years old. She was hopeful. She wanted to change the world. Um, we all were 18 once, honey. I get it. All right. We all, we all feel this way. So she starts working at a, in a newsroom and she's so excited that she realizes real quick that women are categorized to only working certain stories. And so Krista is working only on weddings and flower shows because that's what women can cover, you guys. It's <laughs> kind of fucking amazing, dude. And she said all the men got all the crime stories, all the interesting good stuff. So I, I'm feeling bad for you, Krista. It's a hard time to be a woman in news. So she's kind of going through this transition and we'll see how that changes throughout the series too, okay? All right. I hope you enjoyed part one. That was Marine good. Survives. Yeah. Yay, it was good. For now. Yay. So bananas. So what's so bananas is I'm also going to England in the 1970s. It's freezing. <gasps> Don't go. It's cold <laughs> and muddy. Uh, the weather's <laughs> awful. I just don't understand how you did a story huh? in England We're in the 70s, and now I'm doing a story in the 70s in England. Now, I actually did this story back in our super fuck days. It's no longer available to hear. So I thought that I would redo it now that we're handcuffs and sage. Oh. Because you read, loved it to death. Um, because Timo has a little bit of acting going on in it. Yes. And it's such a great story that I, I can't not tell our listeners it. So I, 
Right. So I'm doing the Enfield Poltergeist, which is actually uh, this is a, a story that the Conjuring movie series took mm-hmm. from and made the movie out of. And I think it was either part two or part three. I'm thinking it was part three. Uh, it, and it's such a scary movie, y'all. And the story I'm going to tell you is is friggin' bananas too. It's so crazy. It's bananas. So I'm not going to actually tell you the story. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go like step by step with a a documentary that was done on B, on BBC. And there was this host. I don't know what the host name is, but you know he's standing there in his '70s suit and he's you know talking about it. And then they they go and they're interviewing literally in all the people involved, suit. like one on one. It's so awesome. It's just the greatest. And you can find it on YouTube. It's like 30 minutes. It's the best thing in the world. So Enfield is a borough of London, and a borough is basically self-governing wall town. And the story happened on a home in a home on Green Street in 1977 through 1979. So this was a long stretched thing that happened to this family, uh-huh. which is so crazy. It's about a single mom, uh, Peggy Hodgson. She had four children, Margaret 12, Janet 11, John 10, and Billy seven. Now John was away to boarding school so he was not in the house when this was happening and billy was actually a special needs child so oh when you have a special needs child there is a lot going on but you have a lot more connection with what's going on with like the paranormal so that's even more scary so so this is england's most famous and documented haunting and the reason why is because of the witnesses there were so many witnesses that can account for what happened. Uh, 17 total. Now, not all 17 wow. were together at one time. Right. But there's they like- They all have their different like little itty bitty right. stories. I no saw one this happened. Person, right. And no right. one person was alone. Somebody was with them to witness the same thing. The first incident that happened was in August uh, 1977. And the kids' beds started to kind of like rumble a little bit, like kind of shake and bounce a little bit. They told their mom, the mom kind of like brushed it off, like, oh, you guys are like jumping on the bed or whatever. The beds shake all the time. <laughs> Get used to it. Right? Yeah. Go it wasn't a play, big, don't come back. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't a big concern. She wasn't like, you know, whatever. So she mm-hmm. kind of brushed it off, whatever. But then on August 31st at 9.30 p.m., that's when shit went down. So Peggy was downstairs. The kids were upstairs in bed. And she heard this huge crash. And she was pissed because she's like, what the fuck are these kids doing These motherfucking kids ruining this motherfucking house. (laughs) So she went upstairs and she went into the bedroom. And the kids were just sitting there. And there was Mm. a dresser in the corner. This dresser moved out from the wall by itself about two feet and then stopped (sighs) what do you do you you cry your knees buckle you piss yourself that's what i and then you move 
Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you knew what? that she was right. probably dumb like me and goes, oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Peggy did. She was like, what? So she went and she tried uh, to push it back in place. Yes. But it felt like it was basically nailed to the ground. It would not uh, budge. That's crazy. And then all of a sudden you just would hear a bunch of knocks all over on every which wall, floor, <laughs> ceiling. There was just a bunch of knocks. No. So, so much at this no. point, Right. <laughs> so at this point, she's like, get up, let's go. They all ran out of the house and ran over to the neighbor's house because they're like, oh, fuck so this. So scary. Mm -hmm. So their next door neighbors, really cool people. They, uh, her neighbor's name was also Peggy and the husband's well, name was Vic name. right yeah. so it's Peggy and Vic Nottingham, Nottingham. And Vic, Vic, went, Vic went next door to check it out and immediately as soon as he walked in he started hearing the knocks and he thought wow. it was like maybe the pipes he didn't really mm -hmm. realize you know what was going on but then it just kept on going and going. And he's like, mm, this is weird. So they ended up calling the police. But the police back then were called constables. I don't know yes. if they still are or not. So the constables. Two police officers showed up. They were hearing the knocks. And they looked everywhere. And they couldn't find where this was coming from. And now, imagine being one of these constables being called right. out. And they're saying, obviously, it's a ghost. Can you find it? Do you have stage? Right. We don't know. Come on. So this is really weird because what they witnessed next, they wrote like affidavits on it. Like they signed oh, so and they basically said, this is what we saw. We're not lying. I'll sign a uh -huh. piece of paper and tell you. So the special needs kid, Billy, basically showed them. He's like pointing over to there was a chair in the corner, uh -huh. pointing to the chair. And all of a sudden, it moved out by itself <gasps> from the wall, like four feet. Okay. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? So they're like, well, we can't do anything about this because this is not <laughs> law. This is nobody's breaking right. the law. This they, is not our area. That yeah. Peace out. Yeah. So they left. The right? <laughs> but they are on record. They did a TV crew did like interview them and they're saying what they saw and uh. they're saying that's what they saw so the, they they all spent the night at the nottinghams and the very next night uh vic and peggy the nottinghams they went back over and they started hearing the knocking again mm. vic walked into the living room and he said that he saw a lego now i'm not exactly sure if it's american legos if legos in europe are the same but he said he saw a lego float up and then it was thrown at him oh my god and it really? hit him in the elbow so hard that it made a welt on his arm legos hurt yeah legos yeah really hurt. you ever step on a lego oh, but if you hell. throw a lego that yes. has to be pretty yeah. hard yes. to throw it to make mm -hmm. a mark on you yes so at this point, they're like, fuck this. So they ended up calling Maurice Gross. And he is from the Society of Psychical Research. And he's basically an inventor by day. But then he devotes all his leisure time to the supernatural. And he basically did a full-on investigation and interview of this experience. 
Now, this is what the whole documentary is about. It's all his like recordings and his interviews. And OMG, just wait, just hang on. Yes, give it, give it. So he, so they're showing videos of him in the house with the family and whatever. And they're showing recreations of kind of what happened to go along with his recordings. Now his recordings back then are, is on those big machines with the two reels, okay? So you have these two big, huge reels going on and you can see Uh. him like pressing the buttons and whatever. (laughs) So great, Mm -hmm. so fantastic. (laughs) So the first recording you can hear, he's in the bedroom with the girls and they, the lights go out and you can hear the girls going, oh, the lights, the lights went out, the lights. And then there's a crash. And then the girls sound like they're really scared and like in a panic. They almost sound like they're starting to cry. And then you hear Maurice go, the lamp was thrown across the room and pulled out of the socket. What? And they replugged it in three different times and it did the same thing. So this is happening in this small little bedroom. He's recording the whole thing. And then they're showing recreations, which this are so crazy. hilarious, right? Oh, reenactments are the best. <laughs> My and, dream to right. be a reenactment actress. I could and so in the 1970s? Come on. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. delicious. Love it. Mm. So after that, uh, Gross was standing by the door and a slipper was thrown at him. So you can hear... <laughs> He goes by the door and he's doing the, the recreation, right? And he's standing there and then a shoe because they call, I guess they call shoe slippers. So a shoe was thrown at the door and he's like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> but while they're doing this, they're playing the recording and you can hear the children with like totally like fear in their voices. And yes, kind of, like, of course. Whimpering. Yeah, terrifying that is. Oh yeah they're whimpering and they're crying. And then Gross explains and they go to just like an interview with him and he explains that the entity he believes is very violent and he and 12 others witnessed a seti which is a sofa in england mm-hmm. being thrown up into the air and flipped upside down about one foot in front of that's him. crazy yeah that's crazy which is so crazy because there's him and 12 other people in the room that saw this so it's like mm-hmm. wow that's the thing right mm-hmm. Then they go to just a recording and they're showing, um, they're playing the recording. Gross is uh, claiming that he wants to communicate with whatever entity is, is in this home. He says, knock one for no and knock two for yes. So he's like, are you a male spirit? And there's two knocks. Did you used to live in this house? Two knocks. Was it more than 50 years ago? Two knocks. Did you die in this house? Two knocks. Okay, so basically he's pinpointing somebody here. And then while he's saying this, you can hear people in the background, not only the little girls, but you can hear probably Peggy, Peggy, Vic, and whoever else is there. Peggy, Peggy, and Vic? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're gasping and they're like whimpering. And you can tell that they're just in the utmost shock that he's actually getting reactions to his questions. Mm. Then he's like, why are you here? Are you unhappy? One knock. Do you want to give us a special message? One knock. Mm. And then, which is so funny, 
Now they go back to the neighbor, Peggy, and they're interviewing Peggy and her husband, Vic. They were standing in the kitchen. So they were just kind of hanging out there. And she said a puddle of water appeared on the floor out of nowhere. A and puddle then of water? The, just a water puddle just kind of huh. came up. And, and then they heard, heard the toilet flush in the bathroom that was like connected to the kitchen. So basically they, it was, it's one of those toilets with the tall pipe and then the toilet yes. tank is above and, you and have then to you got a chain, right? Yep. She said they heard the chain pull, it flushed. And when they went to open the bathroom to see what was going on, knowing that no one was in there, the toilet brush lifted up from its container and laid itself gently on top of the toilet seat. OMG. And the ghost is like, clean it. Witnesses. I clean this shit now. Right. <laughs> and it's so day. funny. She's like, it was like they used the bathroom and then they decided to clean it afterwards. <laughs> oh my <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Love everything about it. Right. Then after that happened, the fucking kitchen table flipped over and Janet, who was sitting in a chair, Janet is the 11 year old daughter. She freaking flew across the room. Oh sitting my in chair. goodness. How about we get what? the kids out of the house? How about yeah. everybody just what? help burn the house down? Yeah, nope, nope. And I guess this it happened nuts. more than once. That had happened more than once with, with These Janet. poor kids. Ugh. So then Vic Donningham said that he witnessed a 10 pound chair being thrown across the room perfectly in a straight line, nine feet in distance, and then just sat there and stopped. It was just the perfect straight line, but he said it was 10 pounds and not only he witnessed it, but a few others witnessed it. So there's uh, a lot of fucking shit going on. Then we're going to bring in a third family into the mix. And this sure, is why John, not? John and Sylvia Burkham. And John is actually Peggy's brother. Now, Peggy, the mom, Peggy's mm -hmm. brother. And they lived down the street and they had been coming over constantly after this was going on. And they were trying to help to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. John, John said that he was, him and, and his wife were downstairs. They heard a large crashing sound upstairs. He ran up and he saw that Margaret, the oldest daughter, was kind of like laying on the floor in shock. She didn't really uh. know what was going on. And he's like, where is Janet? He couldn't find Janet. So he found Janet in the corner and she was hanging over a dresser by one leg and on top of the dresser was a radio like one of those old school radios so she was kind of like just hanging there right what yeah and then he screamed for sylvia and as he screamed for sylvia janet was dropped and she's just uh. kind of like sitting there on top of this dresser and Sylvia so she never was being made hung it up by one foot, like yeah. in the air, and then Dangling. she dropped. Yes. Wow. That's okay. Crazy. Wow. Sylvia didn't make it in time to to see what was going oh. on, so he was basically uh -huh. the only one that saw this one. Uh, I think this is a recording, but they're not showing anybody that they're just playing the recording. Mm -hmm. So Gross says, "Why are you upsetting this family? Is it because you enjoy doing it?" Two knocks. He's like, are you having a game with me? Which is basically <laughs> meaning like, are, are you, you fucking with me? Are you fucking Come on. with me? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. yeah. And there's, there's no sound. When huh. you, and then you hear a crash and one of the girls screams 
And then the mother says something, but you really can't understand what she's saying because she's off in the distance. And then Gross explains that a cardboard box and pillow were thrown across the room at his face. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The recreation of this one was oh so spectacular. Good. Mm. Oh, <laughs> and when when he asked that and they get the two, which means yes, you can hear like the voices, like they're like, oh my god, mm. they're like freaking out, right? Mm-hmm. Then he's like, he asked them again, do you enjoy upsetting this family? And there's two knocks. Will you please go away? One knock. Yes. You've had fun enough. It's time to go away. One knock. You understand me. Please go away. One knock. And Gross is like getting angrier. And oh, angrier. my goodness. Yes. You must go away. It's absolutely essential. One knock. And it kept knocking one. Whatever he said. One, one, <laughs> one. So he's finally said, yes, goodbye. And then he stopped talking because he wasn't going to just keep on going because it basically was saying, I'm not going to go away. Now, here's the crazy part, y'all. Now they go, Margaret, the older sister, and Janet are sitting on a couch. And Gross is across from them sitting on a chair and he's interviewing them. Now, Janet is basically the one that's being affected more than anyone else. And come to find out that she's kind of being possessed maybe, or her body is being uh, used as some type of tool for these spirits to come in and speak through her. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So as the little girls are sitting there, you kind of hear this, this kind of like growly sound, but you really don't know for sure what that is. You're not sure where it comes from. And then Gross goes, how many voices are there? And then from Janet, a deep, raspy voice says, 600. (laughs) 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 Everyone leave the house, Brad. Get out of the house. And then after that, the same voice says, that's a joke. (gasps) And then Gross goes, how many really are there? And then Margaret answers him. She's like 10, like 10. And she's totally interrupted right when she's trying to say that by the voice, by Janet. Three. <laughs> and Janet kind of looks over at Janet, like, or Margaret looks over at Janet and she's like, uh, okay. Like, it's really a weird interview. And if you watch it, you see the girls, they're kind of just like kids and they're, you know, they're like 13 and 11. They're kind of just like, <laughs> like we're being interviewed. We're going to be on TV or, or whatever. And they're just kind of like, yeah, this is what's going on. They, they don't really, really know what's up, whatever. Margaret then explains that some of the names are rubbish. And there's this long, deep, growl from Janet and it's so scary y'all it's like and it's it reminds me of the exorcist so much because it's so scary and then that sound the thought of that is terrifying to me yeah she's not making any facial expressions you can't see her mouth move it's so wild so he asked Janet how do you feel about being haunted by a poltergeist and Janet in her normal voice goes it's not haunted and then Margaret whispers, shut up to her. So it's kind of weird. Like she's like, 
like so her sister weird. is scolding her. This dynamic is them. odd. Right. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. Things that it's done to them. Like it's thrown Margaret into a bookshelf. It slammed a cupboard. Um, it threw their mom at a cupboard. And then Gross goes, have you asked it to go away? And they both say yes. Then Gross goes, how does it reply? And they say that it's not going away, that it's staying. So then they go to a video of Maurice and he's in the girl's room and he has his little recorder. And he said he had done an, an experiment in the girl's bedroom and Margaret and Janet were in there with um, their mom and it was totally dark and they're sitting in the room and he plays the recording. And all you hear is these weird, like whistling, like, and like, like, it's so weird. It's, I don't even know how to do it. Whistling. And then He's all of a sudden. picking up on whistling. Yeah. So there's somebody's like whistling in the room and then there is barking. Okay. And the barking sounds just like a dog. There's no dog in the room, but this is Janet. Janet is making all these sounds from whoever's possessing her, I guess. So then Gross asks it, asks it, if you can whistle and bark, then you can talk to me. Call out my name, my first and last name. So they're waiting and they're waiting. And he keeps on telling it, like, say my name, say my name. And it does, it says Morris Gross in this raspy oh, voice. God. So his name is Maurice, but in the English accent, they call him Morris. So it goes Morris Gross in this like raspy, scary yeah. voice. It says it two more times and then it just starts barking at them. Ugh, and then God. the recording stops, yeah. <laughs> and it's so crazy, even just to hear the barks, even barks are just so, mm -hmm. so demented. Then they go back to the interview on the couch. Gross asked Janet, when did the voices start? And she said like around December 12th. But Margaret kind of shakes her head. I, I don't really know what's going on with that. And then, and then he asked, how did they start? And as Janet is trying to explain, all of a sudden there's a bunch of knocking all around the room. And the girls, like she stops and she kind of like smiles. And then Margaret is kind of like smiling and they're just kind of like snickering, laughing, like, there it goes like it's so weird how they are acting and then they tried to ask it to do it on command so he's like will you do that will you do that will you knock again and it's totally quiet and he's like it's not doing it so margaret explains yeah it's it's not going to do it when you ask it to do it it will do it when it wants to do it then he asks what about the voices they sometimes say things and make answers, right? And there's a low growl, that scary raspy growl again. And he goes, is that the voice now? And Margaret looks at Janet and you hear this, yeah, like the scary yeah, right? And then Gross decides to start talking to it. He's like, is anybody there? Nothing. And the girls are sitting there and they're kind of like smiling. How many voices are there? Janet says in her normal voice, Dirty Dick, Andrew Gardner, and Stuart Certain. Um, 
where are those words coming from? Where are those names coming this from? Like girl it's is I know Dirty Dick, Dirty uh, Dick, Andrew uh, Gardner, and Stuart Certant. And who the goes, are these peeps? <laughs> what do you think these are? Are they people or just voices? Janet goes, they could be spirits. I don't know. Then Margaret chimes in. She says they're ghosts or spirits speaking through us. I don't know. And then Margaret's like, yes, they play around and they joke and they be silly. And then Gross they goes, do they be silly? Yeah, they just be silly. And then Gross goes, do you think there's anyone there right now? Margaret nods no, but Janet then and her fucking scary ass raspy voice goes, yeah, I do. Uh -huh. What the fuck? The fuck? Do they fuck, end fuck. up like sacrificing and killing both girls just not to hear this shit? I'd, oh I'd my like gosh. never ever be with, you know, I'd separate yeah. them all the time. Yeah. yeah. Can't be together. Sorry. You know, humans. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> so Gross goes, Who's that? And Janet smiles and says in her normal voice, Pardon? Still smiling and says, Stuart Certain. So she's talking in her normal voice and she's like yeah that's Stuart that's talking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then gross goes Stuart certain he's one of the voices and Janet says yes why do you think he comes and speaks through you and Janet goes to annoy us does he ever say anything nice and then Janet goes well don't know really shall we try to speak with him and then Janet goes yeah so this is all just a conversation between Janet and gross there's no raspiness. This is just whatever. Mm -hmm. And then Gross goes, is anybody there? And then Janet, in a growly voice, goes, hold on to your butts. Knock, knock. <laughs> no, I don't like this. I don't like this. Stop Janet. it. I'm outside in the back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Y'all, uh, Dre's recording in her car out in the dark. <laughs> Sorry, Dre. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> you will Lock myself in. Okay, now while this is happening, Janet is just sitting there. She's kind of fidgeting. She's rubbing her uh her face, but she has no facial expressions. She's just kind of like sitting there like in a nothingness. So, so gross weird. goes, who's there? <laughs> oh <laughs> no, who's there? No. Yeah. <laughs> So Janet, in her horrible raspy voice, goes, doctor. So then Gross goes, doctor who? And you hear this kind of like growling, kind of like laugh, because in England, that's where doctor, doctor who came from. <laughs> that was a good one, Janet. That's a shout good. out to Kat right there. And then yeah. Janet says something in the raspy voice, but it's inaudible. I mean, maybe if someone you know speaks in the English language or the English accent oh we maybe, do oh yes okay. maybe they couldn't understand <laughs> what she says it kind of says like there's so much to choose from or there's so much mm. stuff here I'm not exactly sure what she says so then they go it cuts from there because that right there is fucking bananas gross is uh then talking one-on-one -on -one with the host and he's basically saying you know these are little girls People are going to think this is a hoax. 
you know, this is this is all made up. This is they're having fun, fun and games with you guys, whatever. So he's like, what do you think? What do you think? And Gross goes, absolutely not. And this is why we've done tests on them. Oh, and the host also said, are you sure they're not like good ventriloquists? You know, like, you know, people can learn that, you know, whatever. And he's like, we've done mm-hmm. tests. They're, <laughs> it they turns can't. out they're circus performers. <laughs> They've been perfecting this for years. But <laughs> Gross goes, they can't ventriloquize and to keep this up he says they're just not doing this here and there they're doing this for like three hours they're not doing it for three hours straight but they're doing it in off and on in a three hour period this would absolutely damage their vocal cords yeah if they kept this up for that point in time so he's like no it's not a hoax this is real because there's just no way, no way that they could have, you know, speak normally and then go back and forth, back and forth without some type of crazy, you know, throat thing going on. Then they're playing a recording that Gross took of the girls. And it sounds like Janet's voice, like in that growly again. And it says, I'm invisible. So Gross is just sitting like maybe at his hotel or whatever. And he has that big tape recorder and he's playing this so he's stopping and he's kind of repeating what they're saying and then you hear gross you're invisible why are you invisible and then the voice goes because i am a g h o s t and then gross laughs and says yeah he has a sense of humor but he also tended to swear a lot so he's kind of like playing along with it whatever he's talking to the host back and forth and then he's kind of talking overall about, you know, how it all went, technical stuff. He said that they have 180 hours of tape that were recorded. Wow. So this documentary only plays like maybe a tenth of what all the shit that he recorded. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some other recordings, which are wild. They're like full stories, full sentences of <laughs> Janet talking in that voice. So then Margaret goes, when we're separate, we don't get these voices, but as soon as we are together, that's when the voices come, which is kind of crazy. Interesting, interesting. Right. Yeah. And then Gross goes, but Janet, your voices are, are much stronger than Margaret. Because Margaret was having a little bit of voices too, but it was mainly focused at Janet. And they both nod at the same time, like, right, it's mostly mm-hmm. Janet. Then Gross says, when you hear the voice and it comes out, where does it come from? Does it come from your throat? Uh-huh. And it goes, no, it comes from the back of my neck. And Margaret, like, oh, shakes her, crazy. Like, she's like, yeah, uh, right. And so it almost like they're a it, puppet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh-huh. uh, and then Gross goes, and so it must be as if somebody else is speaking. And Margaret goes, yes, but from behind us. And he's like, do you get the feeling? Do you get a feeling when they're, you know, when you hear this one? And Margaret says, yes. And then Janet's raspy voice goes, yeah. (laughs) And then Gross goes, and do they tell you much about themselves? And Margaret in her normal voice goes, no, not really. Part two, hang on to your butts because this is even more scarier. All of a sudden you hear that raspy voice go, 
Row, row, row your boat down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. Now that hurts my voice just on that little bit. My throat is freaking killing me now. And I'm not even making it any close to how it actually sounds. But it is, is so creepy. It is so creepy. So then basically at this point, one of the scariest things that she talks about, she says that she is a man named Bill Wilkins. And she says that she's a man in his 70s. He died in their house. And on the recording, Janet speaks as Bill Wilkins and Gross is asking him questions. And he said, just before I died, I went blind. And then I had a hemorrhage and I fell asleep and died in the chair in the corner downstairs. So she's giving specific information here. So they were able to find Terry Wilkins, who is the son of Bill Wilkins. Mm -hmm. And when he heard this recording of Janet talking. Oh, what a trip, man. Yes. I'm getting the chills right now. He agreed that that was the voice of his father and confirmed that he had went blind and died of a hemorrhage in an armchair in the house that they live in. Oh my God. And then everyone ran out of the house. When does everybody run out of the house? (laughs) They don't. They don't basically. So then they're like, they're like, he's interviewing her more and she's talking more as, as Bill Wilkins, right? And mm-hmm. he basically says, this is my home. Get out of my house. And Gross goes, you're dead. Don't you know that you're dead? Yes, but I came from out of the grave. And oh, okay. he's like, All right, from out of All the right. grave? And he's like, yes, Endurance Park. My name is Bill Wilkins, and I came from Durance Park, and I am 72 years old, and I've come here to see my family, but they are not here now. What the fuck? So it goes on and on and on, the Uh investigation, but this is basically how far um, the... uh, the documentary went at this point it goes to talk about uh how maurice gross got into you know you know uh, ghost hunting and all this uh-huh. stuff he had like a, a show on bbc it was like a tv show ghost hunting whatever and, and they talk about how he got married and how he had a daughter named janet she passed away at a young age as a no. child. and him and, yeah and him and his wife had uh kind of like a paranormal experience where they think that maybe their Jan- their their daughter Janet uh-huh. was trying to connect with them. Wow. So at this point we're like okay so what happened? What happened to Janet and the family? Uh Janet unfortunately went through several religious rites and eventually uh was sent to live in a um kind of like a mental institution for a little while. Oh, they no. yeah. Um, the hauntings after that the hauntings just stopped but they the family said bill wilkins never went away it just lessened and lessened so if you go on youtube you can see this documentary 
And then you could actually see a couple other documentaries where they are interviewing Janet as an adult, Margaret as an adult, and the mother before she passed what away. What a trip, man. And okay. it's, it's bananas. It's bananas to see how, like, their experience. They are honest to this day. They're grown women. They are not, you know, they're sticking with their story, y'all. Like, this happened. It was mm-hmm. not a hoax. And even in one of the interviews, it just happened to be Margaret and the mom. And Janet didn't want to be a part of it. She didn't want to have. And later on, I guess, Money money Speaks, I guess, they mm-hmm. you know, gave her a great price. And she was able to do other ones where she is on there. But, oh, my God. So The Conjuring, uh, we all know the, the series is connected also to Annabelle mm-hmm. and The Nun. They all come together. It's The Conjuring right. Universe. So I believe this is part three. Um, it's so scary, y'all. A lot of the stuff didn't really happen, but they make it for like movie time. All the Conjuring movies are just awesome to me. Uh, part one, I think is the most scariest for me. And mm-hmm. that is about the, the Perrin family, which I did uh, talk about. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like mm-hmm. the true life of the parents. Um, but yeah. oh my gosh, this one has to be scary too. And this interview is bomb. I mean, to see this little girl talking in that voice and and just kind yeah. of sitting there, and it's so wild. Um, go watch it. It's so crazy. What's I the name it. of it? We need to oh, know. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to look it up. Um, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. The, Why don't we talk about the story? Badass the story. You said Annabelle. Huh? What? I said the minute you said Annabelle, you guys remember my dream. You yes. know, I woke up. I woke up. Okay for listeners I woke up like I don't know what morning it was because my days are all mixed right but I woke up talking about the nightmare I had I was like in tears Mm. it was like that I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're like so passionate in your dream about something that you're trying to yell or scream so loud that you end up speaking in real life and it comes out like a garbled mess like it sounds creepy as fuck right Mm. and so I I'm having a dream that there's like these dolls hanging in the closet Uh and, and I'm like, Nope. Oh, hell no. This is demonic at best. (laughs) So I start screaming, like in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to depart or something in my dream and in real life. Well, first of all, as I say that, all the dolls, the lights turn red, their eyeballs turn red, <laughs> yeah. and they start fucking cackling, like, <laughs> no. and I'm, like, freaking out, so I said it even <laughs> louder and stronger, and I just felt like I had no, no voice or something, and so in my dream, I'm screaming, and in real life, I'm screaming out loud, and so Juan, my husband, wakes up, like, what the, what? trying to you know like you wake up and he's crying in the middle of the night (laughs) (laughs) so I was not sleeping that night so you know I go to work oh no I wake then Aurora walks into the room at like Mm -hmm. 3 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. she's like I had a nightmare I'm like get in bed I had to wake up at like six just to get to work so I went to work and then later on I text you guys like our conversation mm-hmm. yes because I was like I'm recording this Baby, crazy what did you do that last night fucking Annabelle mm. no it was crazy and her sweet little voice was telling you the scary ass dream and she's was- so nonchalant about it she's like telling and then she starts 
changing the subject and then she's yeah. like oh and then la 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 la, la way, which you know she's shit. not making this shit up she's yeah. like fully right. a kid it's telling crazy. the story it's so crazy mm-hmm. yeah i can't watch annabelle anymore it freaks me the fuck out guys yeah I don't watch it terrifying okay y'all all right so it's called it. the enfield poltergeist it's by a subscriber on youtube and i'm just gonna say it's not a person like it's it's a weird thing it's two one this is the name of the subscriber two one zero zero one five allen a l l a n he has eight thousand subscribers um this in- just so you know this is because you're going to scroll through a lot of them if you search for it this one is 34 minutes and 43 seconds so when you see the 34 43 you know and it's the actual bbc from the 70s documentary so it's grainy the sound quality is not that great but it's so good i prefer it this way yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yep 34 minutes killing it Good job, Timo. Yay! <laughs> all right. Are you all ready for bad, bad ass story, story of the week? Woo! Woo! All right. So, my badass today is Flavane Carvalho. Um, she is a badass waitress in Florida. So, she was scheduled to be off on this day. Okay, she was not scheduled to be at work, but her coworker called out sick. So they had her come in to work on this day. Um, During her shift, she served a family of four, mom, dad, little boy, little girl, right? Um, The little boy didn't order any food and the the food up and says, oh, is is something wrong? Did we miss something? Did we get the order right? What's going on? You know, he's not eating. And then the dad says, oh, he's not going to eat here. He'll eat something at home, right? As a mother- That's fucking weird. I don't care if you order fruit. I don't care if you order dessert, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're going to order something. Or even just just say, oh, he's going to have some of our food, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're sharing, whatever. Right. The little boy was sitting there with a hoodie on, Mm. some glasses and a mask, right? What the fuck? That's weird. weird. Mm. So, you know, her mommy tingly spider senses went off Mm -hmm. and she was like just observing. So a little while later on, she noticed that even though he was wearing glasses, there was like a scratch in between uh, his eyebrows. Uh. And then he had like bruising on his face, right? The hoodie and the mask were covering stuff up. Later on, she saw that he had a bruise on his like arm wrist area. So crazy. Oh my goodness. So crazy. So then she, she like is grateful because strangely enough the little boy is sitting in a spot where the parents can't see her and he has a clear view of her where she Mm -hmm. could like write a note so she writes him a note the note that she writes him and she says it took like three times for him to like actually respond because I think he was afraid to respond the first one said are you okay and he, you know, took like three times and eventually he shook his head like, no, I'm not okay. Uh, so can you imagine being in her position? Like, holy shit, what do I do? He's not right. okay. Right, right. All of these um, red flags are going up. You don't want to like yeah. cross the line with, you know, your customers. Right. But she knows something's wrong. She's right. got to right. do something. Right. So she comes back with another note and says, do you need help? And eventually he says yes. Mm. Right. So 
she she goes ahead and calls the police and the police come they um they you know they question everybody it comes out that this is a stepfather right his name is timothy wilson motherfucker um initially he was charged with one count of third degree child abuse Ah. because you know they could see like stuff on his body Mm -hmm. um they talked to the little boy he's 11 years old he is 20 pounds underweight he's Mm -hmm. malnourished right Uh, so uh, he uh, comes out and says the stepdad had hit him with his fists a wooden broom and a back scratcher uh, he was also hung upside down from a door frame by his ankles <gasps> and sometimes they strapped him to a furniture dolly oh this no. is awful this is awful awful, awful. so um uh, eventually the count was changed to multiple counts of child abuse and neglect um, the mom was questioned. She did know about what was going on, and she uh, was charged with two counts. A bitch. Right, fucking bitch. How do you these not? These are her kids. Child? Yeah, these are her kids, and she's How? allowing this to happen. No. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't. I don't. Oh my god! I never I will, understand. I never, mm-hmm. never understand no. this. No, it's disgusting. So, they did find that the four-year-old little girl didn't have any events, evidence of child abuse or neglect, which was really good. They had just moved into town and were staying at an extended stay hotel. Wow. So let's talk about how crazy this is. This this waitress, A, wasn't even supposed to be there. Right. B, the little boy was sitting in the perfect spot where she could, like, secretly right. communicate with him. Right? Right. But right. three, what a freaking badass that she was able to work up the courage to mm-hmm. do something right she oh, didn't I bet just she was terrified right mm-hmm. i bet she was right. terrified to How do that and she did it i'm so glad she did feel yeah. the fear so, and do it anyway good job exactly oh, my goodness. exactly so the police actually um said that she saved his life and that this definitely would have been if she hadn't said something that eventually this would have been a murder investigation she oh saved his life oh my god absolutely so yeah she because is my we've badass. heard stories like this all the time it's so heartbreaking you guys i can't even uh the stuff that i hear i don't know what it is about like antelope valley but some nasty ugly things go on out there it's It's just so bad women if you're in an abusive relationship please please for the safety and life of your children just get the fuck out like there's nothing Mm -hmm. no man is worth no man is worth it no and you can always facebook message us instagram message us just put like banana and guess what yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. That's yeah. the safe banana. word. Banana. Absolutely, banana. Banana will be the safe word forever. Yes. Just send us banana. a banana. I mm-hmm. I am so amazed. This is a total badass. This is a total yeah. badass. And I know that sometimes we find ourselves in our life in situations where we don't know if we should do something. Mm-hmm. You should do something. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. I think so. Always do something. Always do something. Always, always, always. Good job, yeah. Drake. Yay, Drake. Yes. Hello. All right. You guys can always reach us on Instagram, Facebook. Check us out on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, we would love you guys to leave reviews for us on iTunes. You can be a badass. Just take a second. Five stars, obviously a review telling us how amazing we are and you love it. 
Uh, we have our Patreon page. There's different levels, different ways to support us. And you guys get swag and we send you some love. And we appreciate you guys always. A shout out to Hilda and Liz. And I just, I really appreciate all of you. I hope you guys enjoyed today. More to come. Lots yeah, of I've, listener stories coming up. I've Ooh. gone into our Patreon page too. And I've, I've added some fun stuff. It's old because... Since COVID, we, we haven't been able to get together and do some fun events, but there are little things that we've done in the past. You've probably seen them on our other social media, but I just wanted to kind of repost them and, you know, give you a little story about them. But once, uh, you know, once COVID is over and we have some fun things in the works, we'll be posting stuff that's just special just for our patrons. So um, that's fun. That's going to come up. Yeah, and episodes coming out before anyone right. else can hear it. You can hear Early it on the release. Yeah. yeah, so we're going to have fun things coming up like that for our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. Good things coming up in the next uh, couple months. My psychic told me that. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, the psychic also said, you know, good things come to you if you leave iTunes reviews. That's interesting. That's kind of crazy. She said that. Um, I, I love you all. Message us always. Leave reviews. Are you ready? We're ready. Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, ooh. And remember, we, we do, do what, what we want. We sounded great that time. We were all in sync. Sure. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are we always? All right. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. See you. Goodbye. 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 Handcuffs and Sage is hosted by Red, Timo, and Dre in a shitty guest room in Los Angeles. Theme music is Leave Now by We Are Wasted. Cover art done by Megan Winchester. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Show some love on iTunes. Be a badass and do what you want. Until next time. <laughs>